It can be hard to find good news stories in urban education, and even harder to find stories of productive collaboration between charter schools and the school districts with which they compete for students and funding. Yet that may be what's emerging in the city of Indianapolis. More than 26,000 students there now attend charter schools, nearly as many as remain in the traditional district. Yet the district has welcomed charter operators in as partners in turning around low-performing campuses, while also inviting its own educators to launch new schools with charter-like autonomy. Studies show that students are learning more as a result, and the community appears to be on board. Can it last? And what can other cities learn from the Indianapolis example? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and I'm joined today by Robin Lake, director of the Center on Reinventing Public Education at the University of Washington, and author of The Hoosier Way, Good Choices for All in Indianapolis. That article will appear in the spring 2020 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Robin, welcome back to the EdNext podcast. Hi, Marty. It's great to be here again with you. So I learned today in preparing for this conversation that the Center on Reinventing Public Education is celebrating its 25th anniversary. So let me start out by congratulating you all on reaching that milestone. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's exciting. We made it. 25. <laughs> it's hard to do at a university, so it's uh, it's worth recognizing. And of course, if... <laughs> yeah. If there's one idea that the center is best known for, it would be the portfolio model of school district governance. The idea that districts should see themselves as managing a portfolio of schools operated by a diverse set of organizations with families offered choice among them. And what we get in your article is really the story of how the city of Indianapolis over a period of two decades has evolved in that direction. So it's Great to have the chance to get your observations on it. And the story really starts back in 2001 when Indiana adopted a charter school law. How did that come about and how was Indiana's charter law unique? Yeah, well, um, what's really interesting about Indianapolis is um, that the mayors have jumped in. And this began, as you say, in the early 2000s under Mayor Bark. Bart Peterson, who was a Democrat, um, but saw that the legislature that was um, partly Republican-controlled was kind of moving in the direction of thinking about charter schools, and he thought to himself, huh, you know, I've got a problem to solve, and it um, it is that I'm trying to get a handle on crime and all these other kind of, you know, um, economic challenges in my city, but I can't do that without an education strategy. So he really saw the charter school um, law and the movement as an opportunity to really run with um, you know, kind of a, a citywide approach to education. I mean, what was unique about the law, it wasn't just him championing the charter school concept. He actually positioned himself and got the state legislature to go along with the idea of having the mayor be one of the approved charter school authorizers in the state. And I believe that's still the only state law that uh, allows that to be the case. Yeah, he really jumped in there and um, and was pretty brave about it. He started talking about charter schools early on, and uh, you know, back then, not a lot of Democrats were were talking about them. But um, yeah, he just said, you know, um, he looked around and he looked at the school district and didn't see that there was much progress. In fact. The school district had been losing enrollment for decades, um, and um, 
you know, he just um, decided to be proactive and um, take the opportunity. And so he created what you describe in the article as one of the nation's strongest charter authorizing offices. What made their approach so effective? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember um, talking to the, the folks in his office way back then, um, and they were one of the first in the country to be thinking about chartering as a real performance contract. Um, they saw it as a way for government to oversee schools differently, and they were pretty laser-focused on quality. Uh, in the rest of the country at that time, a lot of people were thinking about charter schools as a way to just allow community leaders to kind of create their dream schools, but they really weren't thinking about quality first in the same way. So I would say that the Indianapolis mayor's office was, was really one of the first in the country to to think about how you set up um, performance oversight in a really meaningful way, be really strict about the renewal criteria, how good is good enough, um, how bad is bad enough for closure. And they also started thinking about, well, how do you get a pipeline of school leaders in the mix um, when a place like Indianapolis has really struggled to attract talent? And this approach started to generate some attention in the mid-2000s. I recall I was sent out there as a graduate student to uh, do a site visit when the city was under consideration for an Innovations in American Government Award from the Harvard Kennedy School. And uh, so, you know, attracting national attention. I remember then being surprised in 2007 when I heard that Mayor Peterson wasn't reelected. And this created some doubts about what came next. You write that his successor, Greg Ballard, chose not just to stay the course on his predecessor's charter school strategy, but to take it further. How so? Yeah, it's been kind of a remarkable continuity of leadership, even through today's mayor. Um, but uh, Mayor Ballard, um, you know, at the time had seen a lot of um, high-quality charters coming out of the mayor's office, uh, but started thinking a lot more about the, the school district and um, ways to um, to expand the opportunities for charter schools in the city. Um, and so his staff person, um, Jason Cloth, um, really started working on this idea for an innovation network schools law, um, kind of, you know, had toured some cities uh, like New Orleans that were using charter schools citywide and in fundamentally different ways, as in the ways we talk about at the center, kind of a portfolio management strategy, um, and so the mayor's office and then the new superintendent of Indianapolis Public Schools, along with the Mind Trust, a local nonprofit that, um, that came out of the mayor's office, started cooking up um, together an idea for how to give the district the same opportunities that the charter schools had. So the district and the city went together to the state legislature and they said, we want you to pass this innovation network schools law. I should mention to some degree, they were saying, we want you to pass this instead of following through on your threat to take over the district, as I understand it. Uh, But what exactly did this law make it possible for the district to do? What are Innovation Network Schools? Innovation Network Schools are um, district schools that have a lot more autonomy. That happens in other districts, but what's unique about 
Indianapolis and the Indiana law is the autonomy is just the same for district schools as it is for charter schools. We have the, the exact same autonomies. They just operate um, under the district governance structure. And so they have full control over their staffing and their educational program and their budget, but they work in tandem with the school district. They can be both uh, turnarounds, so the district can work with the charter school to turn around a, a struggling district school, but the really the most popular avenue has been for um, new schools to start within the district by district personnel, so teachers or principals that want to show what they can do within a more autonomous structure. Yeah, you note that this was really a key decision that the current superintendent, Alicia Johnson, made, uh, which was to let high-performing schools apply for this innovation network status rather than using it exclusively as a turnaround strategy. Why was that so important? Yeah, it was important because um, people in the district don't see this law as something that's being done to them. They see it as an opportunity for them to be able to do something themselves. And so Superintendent Johnson says, you know, there, there's no preset number of these things. We will continue to expand them as long as people have a great idea and want to do them. And what she's finding is that a lot of people want to do them. And so, you know, it it just sets a very, very different tone in the district. This is not um, an outside thing that's coming down on people. And now I believe one in four Indianapolis public school schools is an innovation network school. Is that right? Yeah, and growing. Yeah, there are more proposals all the time. So I presented this at the outset as an example of district charter collaboration, and you acknowledge in the piece that that's a bit of a fraught concept, that many charter leaders dismiss it as a waste of time, but you ultimately argue that Indianapolis shows why such collaborations, when done thoughtfully, can be a win for charters for districts and, most importantly, families. And I'm quoting you there. I think that many who are skeptical of collaboration are implicitly comparing it with the alternative of continued charter growth. But part of your point, as I understand it, is that that vision of continued growth isn't realistic, that without some form of collaboration, charter growth is likely to stall. Is that is that right? Yeah, and I mean, it's not theoretical. So if you roll back time five years, the place where um, Indianapolis was heading was that charter school growth was starting to slow because there were a limited number of school buildings. Uh, there were a limited number of um, high-quality uh, teachers and principals to start schools. And um, the opportunity that the Innovation Network schools created for charters was they would get access to a school building and they could partner with people in the district um, or people in the district could just run the school themselves. And so it untapped a bunch of opportunity that had been latent, really. Um, there were people who wanted to run schools, but they didn't want to go off and fight the district in order to do it. And um, there were people who wanted to start schools with the district, but you know couldn't get access to facilities. And a, a really nice thing from the district side was that um, that they could work out a financial deal that was 
um, that was sustainable for them. So they could fill a school building, they could get a little bit more per pupil funding um, from the charter schools they wouldn't otherwise get and could sustain their, their central office that way. Uh, and then, you know, the other huge win for them was they started to build back enrollment. After losing enrollment for decades, they're starting to increase enrollment. Now, one key difference between Innovation Network schools and charter schools, as I understand it, is that Innovation Network schools are still neighborhood schools rather than being schools of choice. I can imagine some charter proponents saying, isn't that sacrificing something that's actually quite central to what charter schools are meant to provide, that uh, this compromise may not be worth it? Yeah, and, and they can go elsewhere. So they, they still have the opportunity to start a charter school through the mayor's office if they don't want to participate in this deal. Um, but these are still schools of choice. And so, um, but yeah, they are neighborhood schools, but nobody is forcing students to attend. They still um, they still have the opportunity to find the best fit if, if they, you know, if another school better meets their needs. And that's key, I think, because... Indianapolis is not just a district that's, you know, kind of you know, carrying on the way that districts do. They're kind of fundamentally rethinking their approach to how they offer choices and opportunities to students and making choice just an, a norm. So, uh, you know, I think it's real. I think um, it may not be for every school provider, um, but... The philosophy that's pretty compelling in Indianapolis is that they're committed to this idea that high-quality choices for all kids is the right goal, and there are a bunch of different pathways to get there. So, you know, the district is a pathway. The charter schools outside the district are a pathway. There is a voucher program in Indiana, and that's a potential pathway. And they continue to look for other pathways. Um, that's, I don't know. I think that's pretty interesting. So let's talk briefly about the politics of all this. Uh, you make a case in the article that it's been a fairly consensual process, that the course has remained steady across partisan changes in terms of who's in control of the mayor's office. Uh, but I know there's still some competition and conflict on the school board between those who support the district's current approach and those who are against it. Uh, how strong is the current support and how likely is it to remain strong over time? Yeah, it has been remarkably pragmatic and collaborative. Um, but that's not that's not just by luck. Um, I will just point out that a lot of thought has gone into building political support in a lot of different ways in Indianapolis through a lot of different people. Um, there are lots of committees, et cetera. And so, um, you know, you never know with a school board. Um, things could shift. Um, but I will say that looking across the city, um, talking to the people I've talked to, it's um, it's pretty remarkable how consistently people feel support for the direction uh, the district is headed. And I think part of that is because you can't argue with the results. There's just a lot of quality. It's not, you know, 
it's not sort of you know a slam dunk. Um, there's nothing you know. There there's still lots of work to do, but the progress has been consistent. So I imagine they'll get more political opposition somewhere along the line. But right now, educators want this opportunity to continue to grow. Parents are happy to have more choices and. I've got to believe that as long as they keep plugging away at solving problems in the ways that they have through unified enrollment systems and attending to special education needs and things, they're going to they're going to address the politics um, pretty handily. Now, at the end of the article, you offer a series of lessons as well as taking note of some mistakes that were made along the way in this otherwise quite successful story. What should listeners take away as the most important lessons to learn from Indianapolis over the past two decades? You know, there's obviously a story of leadership here, right? I mean, the, the, the what I call the civic triangle in Indianapolis, um, the mayor's office coming together with nonprofits and the district, is just a, a really powerful dynamic that we haven't seen in a lot of other cities, but I think um, we ought to. We ought to see more of that. People kind of stepping up, um, taking um, taking some risks and saying, you know, this is the right direction. Um, and it's really important. Um, and then um, the, just the ongoing investment and plugging away at um, engaging local funders, engaging local nonprofits, and importantly, um, engaging local educators in, in figuring out solutions um, for, for kids and families. So it's, um, you know, when I talk to people about what made Indianapolis work, work they, you know, they talked about a bunch of different factors, and everybody would point to, well, it wouldn't have worked without dot, 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 and it was, um, sometimes it wouldn't have worked without the mayor. It wouldn't have worked without the, the threat of state takeover. It wouldn't have worked without the mind trust really investing in school quality. It wouldn't have worked without a forward-thinking superintendent. I think that's all true, but the point um, that's relevant to other cities is it can work um, with, <laughs> with attending to all those different dynamics, paying attention to good politics, and just staying focused on on um, quality and choice. My guest today has been Robin Lake, director of the Center on Reinventing Public Education and author of The Hoosier Way, available now at educationnext.org. Robin, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks, Marty. It was a lot of fun. You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.